This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. If you're here for the first time at New Life, can I just say that I'm jealous? I'm jealous of you because I live in Washington State, about 100 miles north of Seattle, so I don't get to be here every weekend. But if you're new, you have the opportunity to be here every weekend, and you have the opportunity to be part of this church family uh, because it's probably in your backyard, and you'll find a church that is immediately communicates value to you and to your story, to, to care for you, a church, that, a family that is interested and eager to walk with you through uh, the trials and celebrations of your life, and that's a beautiful thing. And so I'm jealous if you're new here. Um, so would you do me a favor and, and be engaged since I can't on a regular basis. But I've been friends with New Life and, and Ron for uh, a few years now, as, as Ron was saying. And it's been a joy uh, to partner with New Life. So we're in this message series called Filters. And as we look at filters, what we're looking at is sometimes we put lenses over our eyes that filter what it is that we see. Right, so if you have uh, picture picture sunglasses on your on your eyes, that's going to change the color of everything that you encounter and everything that you see. And so we're looking at life through some lenses. Last week we looked at the performance lens, and this week we're going to look at the at a, at a lens that I'm calling the just a lens. Now let me let me describe that a little bit to you. We encounter brokenness. We encounter pain. We encounter injustice through life. And there are times when we encounter those things and our response inwardly is, I'm just a... And then you fill in the blank. And that fill-in may look a little bit different depending on what it is that we're encountering. I'll give you a couple of examples. You might encounter some of these images along the way. So here's, here's one image. If you encounter that, you may think in your mind, there are some things that are happening in this individual's life that are way beyond what I have the ability to help with. That it's going to take an awful lot to to put this individual's life back in a path that is different than circumstances that they're engaging right now. I don't know what difference I could make. I'm just a passerby. How about this photo? A little boy clearly on the other side of the world. And we can look at that and say, okay, there's some water jugs behind him. He might be one of those children who walks six kilometers every single day to get water for his family. And I don't have millions of dollars that I'd be able to invest in drilling a well in this child's community. I'm just a middle-class worker who has some obligations in my own life. What about this picture a little bit closer to home? Maybe this is your neighbor across the street or next door, and you've had a window into their lives to the extent that you know that maybe what they're going through is a challenging time, that maybe right now they're not seeing eye to eye as a couple. And you look at that and you think, I haven't been trained as a marriage and family therapist. I don't have a whole lot of skill that would be able to to help a situation like this. 
I'm just a neighbor. Or what about this, this photo? Maybe this is a, an elementary school kid right in this community. And maybe, maybe this child doesn't have the stability at home that is conducive to bringing about great study habits. And so each day in class, he's falling further and further behind. And we can look at a situation like this and we can say, well, golly, I'm not an educator. I'm struggling to keep my head above water right now with all of the things that are going on in my life. I'm just a dad who, who's trying to, to impart and tutor and help my own kids. What could I possibly do? Or how about the, the greatest humanitarian crisis of our time? The refugee crisis that's happening around the world. And we look at that and we say, boy, that's a result of, of entire nations that are not seeing eye to eye, that are in conflict, that are in tension. And, and, and the best suited individuals to address that kind of an issue are, are, are world leaders that can help bring people to, to the table and, and find some solutions and find peace. And I'm not a visible world leader. I'm just a citizen What could I possibly do? That's what I mean by the I'm just a lens. That we encounter situations like this probably every day. And one of the reactions that we have inwardly is, I'm just a... And then you fill in the blank based on the situation that you've just encountered. I want to share some scripture today that, that starts to speak a little bit to this specific lens, the I'm just a lens. In order to, to share from that scripture, I want to create, create a little bit of context. And the context that I want to give is, is to remind us about the people of God in the Old Testament. The people of God in the Old Testament are called the Israelites. And the Israelites were living in a land that God had provided for them. And things are going pretty well for the Israelites their, their economy is growing and their stability in life is, is solid. And they're starting to realize that uh, maybe, maybe it's because of what I'm doing is kind of what's going through their minds. And that's why everything is going so well. And God comes along and he says, hey, don't forget, everything you have is because I've given it to you. And the people, that, they kind of, well, you know, that's nice, that's okay. But really, I think it's what we're doing. And God reminds them again and again, over and over, hey, it's me, I am the one that is providing for you. I'm bringing this into your life. And I tell you what, if you don't remember that, I'm gonna take it away just as easily as I've brought it. The Israelites don't heed that warning and so God does take it away. He takes away uh, the city that they have by bringing another nation in to conquer them. And they destroy the city that the Israelites are living in, the city of Jerusalem. And the people are then carried away to live in exile, in captivity. And this happens for many decades. And then there's a a power change in the nation that is holding them in captivity. And the new king says, it's time for the Israelites to go back to their homeland. And they can rebuild and move on. And so this is where we pick up the story. And, th- and this story is told in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And here are a few verses that I want to share with you. In, first in the book of Ezra chapter 2. And it says this. It, it actually lists the names of the descendants of the Israelites that went back to rebuild Jerusalem. So it says the descendants of Parash, of Sheftiah, of Arah, of Pehath Moab. And it specifically gives the number of people that were in that specific family. Of Elam, of Zatu, of Zakiah, of Benai, of Bebai. And it continues of Asgad, of Adoakam, of Bigvai, of Adon, of Adder, of Bezai, of Jorah, of Hashem, of Gebar. This is just a little excerpt of this long list of names that goes back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, as if it weren't enough to have the list of names in there once, it's actually in there twice. Because it's also in the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah gives a little bit more detail, specifically outlining exactly what the specific families, what part of the wall around Jerusalem that they rebuilt. So it says, Raphiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumph. Now, I just want to give you a little, a little pause here for a moment. It's not about getting the names right. It's about the confidence when you say it, right? <laughs> Just a little secret when you're reading the Old Testament. I'm butchering these names, but it looks like I know them. I'll just admit that to you. Harumph, or whatever, made repairs opposite his house, and Hattush, son of Heshbaniah, made repairs next to him. Melchiah, son of Harim, and Hashab, son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section, and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Helohesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Melchiah, son of Rechab, ruler of a half district of Beth Barakem, and rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And the list goes on and on. And you look at this and you think, This list of names of people who returned to rebuild Jerusalem is in two places in Scripture. It must be really important, but what on earth is the point? Why? If you look through these lists of names, you look for for people who, who maybe we've heard of before. Maybe, maybe this is a, a specific character of, of Disney movies, right? Like Moses is a pretty popular character because of the Hollywood has, has done movies about him. We don't see his name in this list. In fact, if we go through this list, we don't see the names of people that we've particularly heard of at all. And that's the point. The point is the list that somehow this list communicates something to us. The fact that these people who lived for decades in captivity came back to rebuild this city, and we've never heard of any of them. It communicates to us that there are no just A's in the kingdom of God. 
We talked last week about the kingdom of God and, and the kingdom of the world. The, the, the world looks and says, okay, well, you're somebody if you have power and wealth and, and you know, financial riches and you have status and some kind of a position. That's not at all what God sees. God has a completely different thing in mind. From his perspective, there's no just A's. I'm just an Israelite. I'm just somebody who's returning from decades in captivity. God does not see it that way. God uses average people to do incredible things. That's what God is up to. You think about, uh, you think about well, is that really what I came here to New Life to hear today, that, that, that I'm average it's probably not going to sell a, a, a whole lot of books if you're a motivational speaker. Be average, you know. Or, or think about that, that, that halftime moment when your team is down by three and they go into the locker room to hear from the coach and the coach says, you're average. Get out there and win. Put it all in, everybody. One, two, three. Average. <laughs> go get them. And yet it's average Joes and average Janets that God chooses to make an incredible difference in his world. And he does that because we're able to see more clearly God's power when it's average people who are going about doing the work of God. Think for a moment about, about what these Israelites accomplished when they went back to Jerusalem. These Israelites rebuilt this wall. Now, we, we probably need to have a better understanding of what this wall is. It's a four and a half mile long wall that is so thick you could race three chariots on top of it around the wall. And specifically, that, that these folks, when they went back and rebuilt the wall, what they found uh, was that the surrounding nations, as they watched this happen, right, the Israelites were hauled off into captivity and there were people that bordered them, that lived around them, and they had gotten used to having a little bit more elbow room. But when the remnant of Israel, when the Israelites came back to rebuild Jerusalem, the surrounding nations were kind of watching this and they were not over the moon about it. So the Israelites had one spear in one hand and with the other hand they were rebuilding the wall and they took turns guarding each other. And God could have... God could have sent in a great Persian reconstruction crew with incredible skills and, and the right technical tools. And, and he could have sent in a, the Persian army to guard this construction crew while they rebuilt the wall. But somehow, we wouldn't have been left with the same degree of awe if that's the path that God chose. The degree of awe is there because God sent a list of average people to go about rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. The reaction to the, surra the surrounding nations that were watching this, they took note. They took note that this was an average group of folks doing an incredible thing. And, and, and incidentally, this wall this wall, this four and a half mile long thick wall, it was rebuilt, the scripture says, 
in 52 days. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think construction projects, I do not think 52 days. When I see orange cones, it ain't going to be 52 days that those orange cones are going to be there, right? And at a group of average Joes and average Janets rebuilt this wall in 52 days. And this is what it says the surrounding nations had as a response. It says, when all our enemies heard about this, All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. It's because it was average people that God was more clearly revealed. When just A's do the work of God, God is revealed. If it's highly skilled people, that's what everybody would have expected. But just days reveal the power of God. Ron was really gracious in sharing that that I get to tell you a little bit about my family, and I'd like to introduce them to you. Here is this is this is a picture of of my family, and we, my wife Karen and I have five children. And when we were early on in our marriage, this isn't the family that we had in mind. The family that we had in mind was two boys, two years apart. That's what we were, were, were striving for. That's the vision that was on our hearts. That's not this picture. Our first child was, was Trevor. Trevor is second from the right there. And Trevor was born, and uh, we were on our way to this two boys, two years apart family. And then we lost the child in pregnancy. And it caused us to, as we grieve, to, to lean into God and to listen more clearly to how he might have us expand our family. And what we heard from God was to adopt. It was something that had always been on our hearts, but we weren't sure exactly why. And then we figured it out. that God wanted to complete this, this two boys, two years apart family by bringing home another boy. So we set about adopting Easton, second from the left, from Russia. At the time, hundreds of orphaned children were coming home from Russia to forever families in the United States. And so there was a specific process that that people could walk through in order to be matched with an orphan child. And so we brought Easton home. And when he came home, we had Trevor, we had Easton, we had two boys, and they're about two years apart. Mission accomplished. (laughs) Karen and I have been going to the Leadership Summit for about 20 years now. And in 2007, there was a session uh, by British filmmaker Richard Curtis, Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral. He's an incredible philanthropist on the other side of the pond. And Richard Curtis was sharing about his, uh, his desire in his heart to impact Areas of the world that were afflicted with global poverty. And he told this story in an amazing way. And because he's a a filmmaker, an artist, he had put together a a film that he actually showed at the Global Leadership Summit. It was about two minutes long. And it was, in it was this little girl in a yellow dress. And she's four, maybe five years old. Clearly in a part of the world that was afflicted with poverty. And she was alone on a street in an urban setting. 
and street traffic and pedestrian traffic are passing by as the sun is setting and she gets out this tattered blanket. And she places this tattered blanket on the concrete and she crawls into it and puts it over her and that's her bed for the night. And there are no adults involved in her life. She's a child on the street. And her story is repeated millions and millions of times every day. God used that video snippet to grab a hold of my heart and my wife's heart and to start to prompt us to engage in the injustice that's around the world. And we started that by kind of inventorying what do we have? We, we don't have millions of dollars to drill wells all over Africa. That's not in the cards. What could we possibly do? And then we inventoried what we do have. We do have a great marriage. We do have a great family. We have a home. We have clean water. We have health care. We have education available. And we have experience with adoption. Maybe, maybe we inventory what we do have and we apply that. And so we responded to a call to adopt again. And we weren't sure if it was going to be an infant girl or if it was going to be a boy, our boy's age. And at the end of what we affectionately called the paperwork pregnancy, the agency came along and said, hey, we have a sibling pair, a boy your boy's age and an infant girl his biological sister, would you bring them home? Now, that was not at all what we had in mind. That was way out of our comfort zone. But what we know is that when we leave our comfort zone, it's exactly where God wants us to be. And so we brought home Josiah, who is next to me in the photo, and the pink princess, her name is Kenzie, uh, on the far right there. And we brought them home at the same time. We learned that older children in parts of the world uh, that, that are ravaged by poverty, that older children who are orphans are much harder to place in forever families. And so we were moved to adopt again, this time an older child. And so Ayelich, who is in the pink there on the far left, was age 12 when she came home. She's our oldest. She's now 21 and serving in the United States Navy. This isn't the family that was on our hearts. This is the family that was on God's heart. And I am so glad that it was on his heart. Because I look at this picture and what I see is, these are my kids. And yet, so often, people come up to us and they say, they hear this story or, or they look at our family and they say, wow, you're amazing. And I've learned to translate that because the translation reads something like this. Wow, you're insane. <laughs> but the truth is this. Karen and I don't feel amazing. We're just average Joe, average Janet. I assure you that we are not parents of the year. You, there's five people that you could ask about that. And they wouldn't tell you that we're amazing parents. We're just average. 
This isn't my story. This is God's story. I just am along for the ride as an average guy. And it's God that comes in and that's actually what people are responding to when they say, wow, you're amazing. They don't realize what actually this is going on. Just like the surrounding nations could tell that this had been done with the help of our God, that's what folks are responding to when they see this story. It's God's story. I'm going to tell you another story. This story starts with uh, wildfires that are highly destructive. And y'all know this really well. And this story is about a community that was surrounded by wildfires on, all, on three out of four sides. And this story is about people who, as the fire came, had to leave their homes so quickly that they, they couldn't bring a thing. They had to just get out of there and flee for their lives. And this story is about people who, who didn't say, I'm just A. Because I look at this and I think, what could I possibly do? I'm not a professional firefighter. I'm just thankful that I, I have a home. I, I'm just a homeowner. But there was a church that didn't respond that way. There was a church that didn't say, what could we possibly do? We're just homeowners. There was a church, a group of people called New Life in Petaluma that said, what do we have? We've got a room. Let's pull all the chairs out of this room and let's replace it with some cots. And let's, let's roll out the red carpet and greet people and care for people in their hour of need. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you know, I've heard the response of the government officials. The government officials said, there's something different about this particular shelter. There's something different here. We think it's because y'all are expert. They probably didn't say (laughs) y'all. We think it's because you are experts in hospitality. You probably have systems that are so good at caring for people. Y'all have been trained with, uh, in, in, in disaster relief and, and in, in building shelters like this. You're probably all majors in hotel and restaurant management. And you really know how to do hospitality well. And that's why this shelter is different. But what you and I both know is that's not the case. What you and I both know is that it was a group of average Joes and average Janets that rolled up their sleeves and offered what they had. And it was God's love that made up the difference. And that's what the surrounding community was noting. That's what the surrounding community was observing when they said there's something different about the shelter that happened in this very room. They were noticing the power of God. See, when, when average Joes and average Janets do the work of God, it's an incredible thing. And the surrounding community notices. 
but there's also a hidden benefit. Because at the end of the day, when you and I take a step into doing the work of God, we actually get to be a conduit for the power of God, where God works through us to make an impact. And as a result of that, there is spiritual growth in our lives. So if you're stagnant spiritually, can I encourage you to take a step into doing the work of God, that it may spark your spiritual growth, that it may result in you having a direct encounter with the living God of the universe. When just A's do the work of God. So if you're looking and saying, I'm just a perfect, you're just the right person, you're hired. Would you do the work of God? I want to turn to to figuring out what is a potential action step that we might take? What might that look like? And I want to turn to a video clip from the Global Leadership Summit a few years ago. And the speaker is uh, Craig Groeschel. And Craig offers a specific idea around an action step. So we're just going to look at a little three-minute snippet of Craig as he taught at the Global Leadership Summit a few years ago. So let's take a look at that. Because somewhere right now, there is someone who is consistently speaking what I call the language of the lid. You're speaking the language of the lid. Your words give you away. You're saying, uh, there are not enough hours in the day. I just can't get it all done. No matter what I do, there's not enough time. There's not enough of me to go around. I I just can't handle anymore. I would encourage you to change your self-talk, to change what you're saying to yourself. I like in the Older Testament of the Bible a verse that said David at one point, he actually encouraged himself in the Lord. Some of you, you may need to start encouraging yourself in the Lord. For example, uh, for me, one of my greatest fears early on was public speaking. I was absolutely, completely terrified of public speaking. Thankfully, I had a mentor that kind of pushed me into it, made me do it. I would literally, every time we would go into his office, I would pray, and then I would vomit in a garbage can, and then I would go preach the living word of God, okay? I I don't do that anymore, thank God. Now I just throw up in my mouth, I swallow it, and we are good to go. Good to go. I I was so, so terrified. And here's here's what my, here's was the language of my, of the lid. I'm too young, I don't know enough, I haven't graduated from seminary yet, they're all smarter than I am, I'm not any good at this, my pastor's way better than I am, they're not going to like me. And and my my language, my self-talk was talking me out of it. So, what I do now, every time before I speak, I'm going to give you a symbol of something you may want to do in your own life. Even today and every time before I speak, I simply take one step forward. Just today, I'm, okay, we're ready, we're ready, ready, and I take a step forward, and in my mind, what I'm doing is I'm stepping out of my insecurities, I'm stepping out of my fears, I'm stepping out of my weaknesses, I'm stepping out of all the things in me that are not enough, and I'm stepping into the calling and authority of God. One step forward. I don't know who it is today, but somebody here, you're going to need to take, in whatever way it is, 
one step forward. I'm not talking about you being confident in yourself. I'm talking about you being confident that God has given you everything you need to do everything that he wants you to do. Somewhere, sometimes, somebody's gonna get into this, and I don't know who it is, but you're gonna take a step forward into the calling of God. For some of you, there's a fear holding you back. It's this, it's this self-talk telling you you can't, and somebody needs to hear this, that the pathway to your greatest potential is straight through your greatest fear. That you take a step forward through your fear into faith and say, if God is calling me to do this, then he will give me what it takes to get it done. Stop your negative self-talk. Replace your mind with the truth of God. Step into what he's called you to do and believe what he says about you. I'm telling you what, in the early years of evidence, because somewhere right now there is someone who is consistently speaking what I call... Take a step. There is probably something that's been brewing on your heart that actually is a call from God. And God's inviting you to take a step. That maybe one of those images that we started the service with, started the message with, that maybe one of those images is actually something that you have considered before. And maybe you have no idea where it goes, but would you take a step? It could be that your step is a courageous step into a relationship with Jesus and that that is the step that you might take, starting a relationship with Jesus and becoming open to the possibility that God wants to do amazing work through you. Take a step, some kind of a step, and change that filter of I'm just a, what could I possibly do? Oh boy, there are amazing things that you could possibly do matched with the power of the creator of all things. Take a step. There are over 400,000 people a year that take a step by going to the Global Leadership Summit. And I would encourage you to add that to your step list that you would put in right now for paid time off to be at the Global Leadership Summit right in this room. And that you would say, all right, I'm going to have my hands equipped and I'm going to have my heart inspired and I'm going to open myself to find out what, what equipping God might do within me. And so we invite you to register for the Global Leadership Summit. And right now, there are a big percentage of you that are probably thinking, I'm not going to go to the Global Leadership Summit. I'm not a leader. I'm just a follower. Take the lens off. Take the filter off, okay? We need you in this kingdom-building game. God chooses you for this work. Take a step. Be equipped, be inspired, go to the summit. Take a step into that thing that maybe has been on your heart for a long time. Take a step into that serving role at New Life. Take a step into that serving role in the community. Take a step into the mess of another relationship. Take a step. And if that sounds intimidating to you, join the club. I assure you it was intimidating to the people of God as they went and they rebuilt Jerusalem and they had a beautiful prayer in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9. It says this, Now strengthen my hands. 
So I'm going to invite us to do that right now. I'm going to invite us to pray. So would you humor me and open your hands, place them on your lap. God, we open our hands to you. And we pray that you would strengthen these hands. These hands that are, that are average in the world's eyes are hands of might, of strength, of restoration, of hope, of grace, of love, of care, of reconciliation. These are the hands that you see. God, would you add your strength to them that there may be incredible work that is done that people see and they brag about you as a result. God, strengthen our hands that we might go about your work. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.